Good morning. <clears throat> My name's Stephen. Uh, before we get started, today will be a little bit different uh, for a couple of reasons. I'll lay those out over the next few minutes, but this is our family Sunday, so every fifth Sunday, all of our kids, except for the baby babies, uh, stay in here, and uh, so just know that. We're parents, we're good with the distraction, so don't feel like you have to shh sh- sh- the whole time, okay? Uh, we're good with it. We are in the plagues, so it's a great sermon message for our children today. So you can threaten them with that, but just draw the line there. Uh, Riley, before you sit down, I'd like to see you up here. This is, the, this is the primary thing I want to do. He wasn't here last week, but um, Riley, last week we announced Andrew and Jared, uh, Andrew Wilson and Jared Ray, uh, coming on staff. And Riley's been serving for a long time at the branch, longer than I have. And uh, he, he's also joining the staff officially So uh, this past month. And so he is officially our worship pastor. And uh, yeah, man, we're super thankful for you and everything that you do. Riley and I work together Monday through or Sunday through Friday. So um, all of our staff members are bivocational. We just happen to work in the same company, and so uh, I some there are some weeks where we see each other more than we see like our family. So. <laughs> Uh, thankful for you and just everything that you do. And uh, his wife, Jordan, gives a lot of leadership to our kids, and um, it's her fault that they're in here today. <laughs> All right, let's, let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter 8, and we do have a lot to cover today. So uh, if you're new to the branch, we're in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Exodus, and here's what that means. It means that we're literally going verse by verse. Today we're going to bite off a lot of verses. We're going to make a lot of headway. We will do uh, today what we've historically taken like four weeks to do. So um, what I'm hoping to do in speeding things up today is for you to see the rhythm in these plagues. Okay, so that's the the foundation of where we are and also so uh, we don't spend, you know, 12 weeks studying the plagues, right? So we're in Exodus chapter 20, and before I start reading, and I'm, I'm going to read it, okay, and I know there's kids in the room, and I know some of you can't handle it, but it's 68 verses, okay, so if we're good there, we're good. I'm decent at reading, not great at reading, so I will go as quickly as I can, uh, and I'm going to read a plague, stop, and we'll talk about it, read a plague, and kind of, kind of break it up that way, but as a way of reminder, I kind of want to lay the foundation of where we've been, not from a historical standpoint necessarily, but more from a theological one, okay? So what have we learned thus far? And so there are a few things over the course of the last number of weeks that we've really been pressing into, and I want to list those things out as we get started in Exodus today. So the first is that God is serious about sin, and he's serious about mercy, okay? That's really been the foundation of this entire sermon series, but especially as we've ventured into these plagues, is that God is very serious about sin. Okay? And I know our world doesn't like to talk about sin a lot. Church doesn't like to talk about sin a lot. But God is very serious about sin. And just as serious about sin as he is, he is as serious about mercy. And that's the great hope that we have. Okay, we don't, do, we don't do a lot of like response here at the branch, so if you know that. But that's generally where churches would say amen or they would be like excited about it. And I get on to you guys every week for that. Um, just expecting that eventually we'll get better, and we just don't. So um, God's serious about sin. There there it is. There it is. The second thing is that God will graciously go to extreme measures to get our attention. Hello, the plagues. 
Okay, these are extreme measures that God is going, and what we're going to see today in the pivot in the plagues is that God's going to extreme measures, not just to bring judgment on the Egyptians, but to give mercy to the Hebrews, to the Israelites, to his people. Okay, the third thing is that God wants people to understand that he is God and there is no other. At the heart of every one of these plagues, and I'm not going to have time to do it today, is an Egyptian God or a series of gods. And if you have, if you're if you don't have one of these, grab one on your way out. There is a whole page in here that lays out the Egyptian gods that corresponds to the plague that God is going after. And in each plague, God is basically saying, hey, you're Egyptian gods. So a few weeks ago, we talked about the Egyptian god happy when the Nile turned into blood. Um, god is the true creator god, right? That Yahweh is the one true god. And so what we need to know at the end of each of these plagues is that no matter what the Egyptian god was, and Pharaoh himself thought he was god, okay, um, that there is one true God, okay? And that's what we'll lay out. So that's, grab one of these if you don't have one. Um, it's somewhere in the introduction about the Egyptian gods. Uh, Jared did a great job putting that together. So the fourth thing is that God is revealing his mercy through these plagues. He's revealing the lies that the Egyptians have built their lives on. And here's the reality. He's revealing the lies that we've built our lives on, okay? And so I don't want to talk about the Egyptians as there's some, you know, past people that that don't live in our world today. The Egyptians are us, okay? And the last thing is that it wasn't defensive to Pharaoh that the Hebrews believed in God, okay? We, we laid this out a number of weeks ago that the Egyptians had like 1,400 gods, okay? So it wasn't defensive that the Hebrews had a god. What was offensive is that the Hebrews' god had authority over Pharaoh, okay? That's where the beef started. It's like, well, you can't tell me what to do. You, can't, you have no authority over my life. And that was the tension that Israel and Egypt had with one another. Okay? So before we dive in, I want to just remind us of the words of Exodus chapter 5. It's right there at the beginning where Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Okay? That is the question that is at the heart of each of these plagues. Okay? And over the course of them, there are four things that we're going to see. And we'll see these throughout all of the plagues. There's five of them today. Okay? And they're on the screen. They'll stay on the screen until they don't. Uh, we'll bring them back up at the end. But these are the four things that, uh, that God lays out in these plagues in response to Pharaoh's really decrepit cry of, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And it's these things. The Lord is the true God. He is the one true God. There is no other. Okay? The second thing is that the Lord is the mighty creator. Okay? We'll see at the heart of each of these plagues is that the Egyptian God was creating something. Okay? And that Yahweh, the great I am, is the one true mighty creator, the only one who actually creates. Uh, everyone else is a uh, copycat. Right? The third thing is that, and this is a hard one, Okay, the, the Lord is the just judge. He has authority, despite Pharaoh not liking it, despite the Egyptians not liking it, despite you and I not liking it, he has authority over our lives. He is the just judge. And then here's the last one is the great hope that we have. This is why we gather together as the people of God. This is why we are called Christians. This is the gospel, the hope that we have in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior is that the Lord is the gracious Savior, okay? Is that he is going to do for his people what he is going to do for his people, okay? He is going to set them apart. And um, so let's, let's dive in. A lot, lot of reading here, and, and I will stop along the way and, and check in. And uh, if you need to stretch, stand up, do it. 
uh, I might sit if I have to, okay? So this is Exodus chapter 20, or chapter 8, verse 20, and I want to start with this line from Romans chapter 9, and I'm going to come back at the end and tie a bow on this, okay? So this is Romans chapter 9, verse 15. If you want to, go ahead and flip to Romans 9, because we're coming back there, um, right there in the middle of the chapter. Listen to this. This is Paul writing. He says, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. This is God speaking, right? And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's our foundation, okay? I will, have mer- I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now let's listen to Exodus chapter 8, okay? Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. This is not new. What God has required of Pharaoh has not changed yet. He hasn't given in. He hasn't changed his demand. Let my people go that they may serve me. That's the purpose. Verse 21, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, this is it, okay, verse 22, but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. Okay, Goshen is the land that Jacob settled in in uh, Genesis 47. Okay, historically that's where you need, you need to know that place. That's where God's people settled. I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms, how many swarms? Zero that no swarms of flies shall be there. That's where I want to be, by the way. Okay, I want to be where there ain't no flies. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Okay? Guys, this is the purpose of all of the plagues, that you may know that I am the Lord. All right? Verse 23, Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Hello. Okay, so there are two people on the earth. There are God's people, and there are not God's people. Do you see that? That's the distinction being made. God is saying, I will put a division between my people and your people, and I will save my people. Okay? Verse 24, and the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of of flies. Verse 25. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. This is now Pharaoh bartering with God. Okay, God said, Let my people go. He had a destination in mind. They were going to go into the wilderness to make sacrifices to the Lord, to worship, right? To serve Yahweh. And Pharaoh says, I'm going to let you do your sacrifices, but you have to do it within my land. Okay? This is how Pharaoh begins to barter with God. God, But Moses said it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? Moses is just laying out the truth, okay? Their sacrifices would have been offensive to the Egyptians because their sacrifices are declaring that, hey, our God is the one true God. Okay, do we see what's happening here? Yes, okay, good. Verse 27, we must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he 
tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. So don't go three days, okay? He's continuing the barter. Plead for me, Pharaoh says. Verse 29, then Moses said, behold, I am going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. And so you have a whole another sleep with these flies. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. Verse 32. Guys, these, this repetition, I think, is the repetition that should really strike a chord very deep within our hearts and within our souls. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So Israel was not better than the Egyptians. Do we see that? Okay, this, is what, this is what Romans 9 is saying. Israel is not better than the Egyptians. Okay? They did not merit salvation. They didn't do anything to earn being set apart. They didn't earn the distinction. They, they were given a distinction. Okay? God said, you are my people, apart from anything that they brought to the table. That's where you should find rest. Okay? You bring nothing to the table of your salvation. Amen. Okay. All right? We bring nothing to the table. I can't do anything to, to get closer to God. I can't do anything to rescue myself. I can't make anything to make dead lungs be life lungs. Do you follow me? Okay? We are given a distinction. God says, you're mine. What a great declaration, right? God speaks in Genesis 1. He speaks into creation, and there was. He speaks into our dry bones. This is, what we, this is a promise we have throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. He speaks into our dry bones, and now we have life that only Christ deserved outside of the garden. Okay? You tracking? All right, very good. Okay, so they were saved by the same way we were saved, by grace through faith. I think one of the things that kind of struck, so when I do sermon prep, this week was really difficult um, for a few different reasons, but I write literally every verse. I've been doing this for 12 years. Every verse that I'm preaching that week, I write it out. When it's 68 verses, you have to take a few breaks, okay? So, but I was, I was struck by this thought when, as I was writing in this plague, in the plague of the flies, that seeing is not believing, okay? We always say that seeing is believing. No, it is not, okay? The Bible says in Hebrews that faith is the belief in the things what? Unseen, okay? So if faith is the belief in the things unseen, these, these plagues, right, have nothing to do with faith of the Egyptians, because the Egyptians are saying, well, I see that, but their hearts aren't changed, okay? So their heart has to be changed by God and by God alone, right? Because I saw the plague, you saw the plague, they saw the plagues, the, Egyptian, the Israelites saw the plagues, but only the Egyptians were set apart, okay? So seeing something, right, it's coming to church, okay, and seeing, being a part of Easter, you guys remember Easter, it was awesome around here, um, being a part of Easter and, and resting in the resurrection is one thing, seeing us celebrate the empty tomb is one thing, being changed by it is a work of the Lord, Okay? in our salvation. So seeing is not believing. We can't bargain with God. Let's, let's go. Um, plague five. Doing well? Plague five. Okay. How's my reading? Just kidding. Plague five. Chapter nine, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh. This has got to be getting old, by the way. Okay? I mean, we're on number five. 
All right? And Moses and Aaron continue to have to go into Pharaoh and say to him, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Okay? For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh, verse 7, sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So over the course of these plagues, right, we're continuing to attack uh, Pharaoh's complete worldview, okay? And not just Pharaoh, but the, the Egypt as a whole, okay? God's going right at their worldview. Everything that they built their hopes and dreams on, God's going right at it, right? The Nile turning into blood, making the Nile, one, undrinkable, two, threatening their entire ecosystem, okay? Remember the, the image of, at, at the end of um, the Nile being turned into blood? There are people digging on the side of the Nile trying to drink trying to get water, right? I mean, that's how desperate they were. The Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt, okay? And now we go and we see all of the livestock of Egypt, but only of Egypt, are killed. All of them, okay? There's none left. This is going right at the economy of the Egyptian ecosystem, okay? So for all their livestock, there goes all of their wealth. They have nothing left, Okay, so when we see this, what we've got to remember is that God is in control. And I think for us, uh, Davis and I were, my brother, were in New York this week, and we have this same idol, right, in, in New York on Wall Street. There's a big bull. Okay, you ever seen it? Big, big, we didn't actually go to Wall Street, but there's a big bull there. This is, this is our prosperity idol, okay, right? We bow at the, the, you know, the God of the stock market. Okay? And when things are going well, we all feel pretty good about it. When things are not, we don't feel so good about it, right? But we don't have like little bulls in our homes, okay? But we just make massive statues of them and put them on one of the busiest streets in our country, okay? But it's different for us, right? It's different for us. We don't, we don't worship the, the idol of prosperity or of success. This is a very common danger we face, I think, that we can put our hope and trust in this success or economics or anything but God himself. Sorry to step on our toes, right? But I think we need to be careful to maintain the correct understanding that God himself is the one that satisfies us. Uh, one of, I haven't, I've never quoted Augustine here at the branch. Augustine is my favorite theologian by head and shoulders, okay? Um, I like a lot of, I was a historical theologian uh, a historical theology major in seminary. So I, I love the old dead guys, right? And you've heard me talk a lot of, about a lot of old dead guys, but we haven't talked about Augustine. Augustine is, his theological foundation is really what helped me build my theological grit, okay? So, but he says this in uh, kind of his main treatise. He says this. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. It's on the screen. And our heart is, what is that word? It's restless. It is not up there. No, it's not. You don't know the word? You guys don't know Augustine? That's okay. I sent it early this morning, and it's all fine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. 
right? That's true on Wall Street, guys. It's true there. It's true here, not on Wall Street. It's true for the Egyptians, right? When the livestock are gone, their hearts were restless because they had tried to place all their hopes and dream in some cows. And when the cows are gone, so are their hopes and dreams. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I hope we find, we as a people, find rest only in the Lord of our salvation. We have to keep going. I could talk about Augustine for a long time. We'll, we'll do something in the fall, maybe. Um, maybe we'll have an Augustine night, okay? Uh, sixth plague, boils. This is, I mean, they're getting better, okay? We're getting better. We've gone from frogs and gnats to flies and death and boils. All right, here we are. Kids, how you doing? What are our coloring sheets, by the way? What are, what are on the coloring sheets? Any boils on there? Okay, verse 8, chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let, Pharaoh, or let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air. It became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, and the Lord had spoken to Moses. God's the creator of everything, and when sin, what sin broke, what God created, he's been setting out to redeem it. Okay, since, since, people, since God's people were kicked out of the garden, which was perfection, by the way, okay? I don't think we talk about that enough. Perfection wasn't that the garden was pretty, although that was part of it. The perfection was that man and God were walking together in perfect relationship. There was no fracture. There was no idolatry. There was no death. There was no sin. Okay? Also, that's the promise that we have for the future. We think about heaven as like golden streets and stuff, but we actually just get the presence of God. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. The soot from the kiln. I think this is an important thing because we got to go back, right? And the reason we go verse by verse is because we don't want to take stuff out of context. If you remember at the beginning of chapter, uh, the book of Exodus, uh, Pharaoh is making the burden heavier on the Israelites, okay? By doing what? By increasing the number of bricks they had to make but taking the straw away. But they would use these kilns to harden the brick, okay? So what Pharaoh meant for evil, God is using to redeem for good, for his good and for his people's good. Okay, so it's the same kiln. And they go and they, Moses takes the dust from the kiln, the ashes, and he throws them in the air. And that's what brings the boil, the boils on the Egyptians. Do you see the beauty in that? Like God's not forgotten on the past, okay? And just to like something for you to rest in, he hasn't forgotten your past either, okay? So the kiln would seem like this heavy burden, this terrible thing, now God's using to redeem his people, all right? So whatever the thing is in your life, just there's coming a day when God's going to use it at the center of your story to tell a declaration of redemption. Okay? Are we good? Should we keep going? I have a quote, though. I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not. It, it's, it's in blue on my, high, on my notes. So um, this is from Phil Riken. I've quoted him a few times. President of Wheaton College. Um, his commentary is very helpful. It's very resourceful. Um, it's easy to read. 
okay? So if you're like really wanting to get into Exodus, it's a good one to pick up, okay? Listen to what he says. He says, to understand how completely God humiliated Pharaoh's magicians, which by the way, can we just say, praise him, right? I mean, these guys, are there, I don't know if there's a more annoying character in the entire Bible than these magicians, okay? So to understand how completely God humiliated Pharaoh's magicians, it helps to know that by throwing ashes into the air, Moses was doing something that, the, that Egyptian priests often did. It was customary for Pharaoh's priests to take sacrificial ashes and cast them into the air as a sign of blessing. But God took that ritual act and he turned it into a curse. Wow. All right, hail. Seventh plague. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. There's mercy being extended to the Egyptians, by the way, right here, because God could have done that, okay? Verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 22, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and Hail and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail. I mean, you hear the repetition. This is, I mean, the, the, the magnitude of this is so rich and so deep, such as had never been in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Verse 27, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Verse 31 and 32 are very interesting. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. 
So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. What I find really interesting here, and the reason I call out those uh, those verses about the, the barley and the flax is because I think what's happening in Pharaoh's heart right now, what's happening in his mind right now, is he's been caught. Okay? And he doesn't feel bad that he, was, that he sinned against the Lord. He, feel bad, he feels bad that he got caught. Okay? So that's what's happening. I don't know if you've ever been there. Like, when you feel like, right, when your mom comes, my mom's here in the room. Uh, this is going to be weird. But like, when she's like, hey, so I found this thing under your sink you're like, ooh. But you're not, you're not upset like, about the thing that was under the sink. This is not a real-life story. It might be, but I'm not going to share that. Uh, but you, you have this gut instinct of like, ah, I just got caught. That's our, I mean, that's my kid's thing, too. My kids are also in the room. So this is like a multi-generational thing. And we're all the same. We're all the same. As mine walks off right now. She's, oh, she's out. She's done. Right? So Pharaoh's... Pharaoh's upset that he got caught, and so he's, he's calling out. He's saying, I sinned, and my people sinned, right? Well, they've been sinning against the Lord, and the sin is, to, is their idolatry. It's not that they're not letting the people of Israel go. It's that their idolatry is preventing them from allowing their people to go. So there are three things in this plague in particular that I think teach us about God. The first is that he's incomparable. There is no God like the God of the Israelites, like our God. The second is that God demonstrates his power through all of these plagues, but especially through this one. You hear the repetition of the hail was strong, it was heavy, it was strong, it was heavy, right? Because God is in control of every single drop of frozen rain. He knew exactly where they were falling. He knew how heavy the ounce, he could weigh them. He would know exactly how much they weighed. And he let them fall on Egypt. The last is that God's name and his power and his glory will be known, made known throughout the earth, even into Egypt. Okay? So Pharaoh is so upset that he's been caught, not that he has sinned. All right, let's move. Uh, last plague. That I thought for sure that would trigger an amen. It didn't. You guys are like, man, it's almost lunchtime. He's like 28 minutes in. We try to keep our sermons around 35 minutes, and when it's 68 verses. That's hard to do. So um, let's do it. Let's do the last one. Locust, eighth plague, chapter 10. The Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Who hardened his heart? God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. In the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. One of the things that we talked about early, especially when we were going through Genesis, we did Genesis as kind of like a primer, is that God's people are people of story, right? The way that we know these stories, it was told from generation to generation. And right here, God is telling exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Because I want you to tell your son, and I want you to tell your grandson. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus does when he comes. I want you to tell your son. I want you to tell your grandson. And that's how the gospel has moved throughout the entire earth, is one person telling the next person, okay? Good news is meant to be shared, by the way, all right? 
Good news is meant to be shared, and that's exactly what God's doing here, although it seems like bad news, and it was for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. So everything now is gone. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and your houses and the houses of your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Verse 7, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Hear the desperation of these people. Let the men go, that they may serve their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Now, can you imagine speaking to a king like that? Okay, that's how real it was getting in Egypt. This is not a place where you threaten the throne of Pharaoh, and yet his servants are going to the footstool of his big chair with a snake hat, right? And they're saying, what are you doing? Just let them go. Let me remind you that the Nile's been turned to blood. There's been flies and gnats everywhere. The frogs came up out of the, the river, right? I have boils. You see the scars on my face, right? There's all these things, and these people are saying, hello, do you not yet understand? Let them go. Verse 8, so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, go, serve the Lord your God, but which one's are to go. We're continuing the barter, right? This is the way it works in our life, okay? I'm going to take a break here. Verse 9 is where I'm going to come back to. God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that for you. Have you ever prayed that prayer? It's okay. This is safe space. I have too, right? God, if you do this for me, I will make much of you in your land, right? If you give me the job or if you get me into the school or if that girl would say yes, right? And we try to bargain with God. Like, if you do, like, you by yourself aren't good enough, right? This is what we're saying to God when we're doing this in the barter system of our theology. God, you're not good enough, but the stuff that you offer is pretty sweet, except for the, like, flies and the gnats and the boils and the livestock dying. Like, that stuff, well, I don't want any of that. I'm not going to ask for that. I just want riches. I want fame. I want comfort. Right? I want the things that my heart says that I want. The Bible is so clear that our hearts are deceitful. Okay? Verse 9, rabbit trail. We don't have time for rabbit trails. My apologies. You're going to be late for lunch. Good thing Moses quick. <laughs> Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. That's everybody. Okay? We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds because they didn't get killed. It's kind of a little zinger there. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, verse 10, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. My Bible, which is ESV, has an exclamation mark there. There's power coming from Pharaoh saying, I'm not, this, we're not doing this. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. Verse 11, no, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts 
so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and every plant in the land, eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. Right? Let's, let's go back to creation theology. When God flooded the earth, okay? he promised to never do it again. It's exactly what's happening here. Okay? Nor will ever be again. Verse 15, they covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. I can't even imagine. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained. What a sad scene. Neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts, and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust, not a single one was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. I want us to go back to Romans chapter 9. Okay? So if you, were, if you stuck your finger in there, just flip over. I'm going to give you a minute or so to get there. Um, Romans chapter 9. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to read 16, 17, and 18. As just a way for us to land. The gospel, though, is, is a story worth sharing, and this is the story, okay? Listen to this. Remember what verse 15 said, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has, what is the word? Mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God has kept his promise. Here we are proclaiming his name. Amen. That's the one, folks. Verse 18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he he wills. If you're like me, you spent much of your life in church. This is not a text that we read often. We also don't talk about the plagues very often. This is the truth of the gospel. He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is your God? Who, who, what is it? Because there's one true God. The Lord is the true God. The Lord is the mighty creator. He's the just judge. By golly, he's the gracious savior. I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jessica snorted. So, <laughs> The Lord is the gracious savior. Guys, this is why we're here. This is why we do everything that we do. If there's one message that we ever preach here at the Branch Church, it's this. God's a gracious Savior. 
and he's not done pursuing his people. He sent his son so that we can be brought back into relationship with him. What we fractured in the garden, he restored in a tomb, a tomb that didn't stay occupied. It was a place that you and I should have been buried, by the way. Those nails were meant for our hands and our feet, and yet Christ took them and put them on himself so that we could be brought back into right relationship with God. That's the gospel. That's the story that we're telling and retelling. Okay? And so as we continue to do this, I think that we have to continue to ask ourselves, who is our God? Through the plagues, God reveals himself to be the true God, the mighty creator, a just judge, and a gracious savior. We close every service the same way, and we do this for one important reason, to remember, because we're so quick to forget. And so when we go to the table to take communion, and the way that we do it here at the branch is we take a piece of the bread that's been pre-torn for a year. You're welcome. You take the bread and you dip it in the cup. And as we dip it, what we're doing is we're remembering the sacrifice of Christ. Okay? That is the, the action that we're doing, is we're picking up his body and we're dipping it into his blood and we're remembering what he has done for us. Because these plagues were not just meant for the Egyptians, they were meant for us. And yet he set us apart. He made a distinction. He kept us from them. Now here's the reality. It doesn't mean that if you take the bread and you dip it in the cup that your life becomes easy. And if you ever hear me say that, throw your Bible at me. Hardship is coming. Hardship's probably already here. I know that it is. Okay? Been here long enough to know that it is. But God's not absent. He hasn't forgotten you. He will not forget you. This is the promise of the plagues. He has set apart his people. So now as we go to the table, would you remember the sacrifice of the one true God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Okay, One God. Only one. He is the true God. I love you. Let me pray. And uh, Riley and Carmen will come and close us this morning. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that we... Um, You've left us with your word, that if we did nothing more than stand up here every single Sunday and just read from your text, that we would be fulfilled and brought near to you. And so I'm grateful that you've given us uh, the book of Exodus in your sovereignty and in your provision for our lives. That Would you remind us that you are in control of all things, that there is no God but the one true God, the great I am. So we love you, we look to you, we look only to you, we pray that you will help us to identify the little idols in our life and that together as brothers and sisters we could take them out. And um, we love you. We just pray now as we respond that you would help our hearts to remember, help, help our minds to remember that you save sinners. You alone save sinners. You love us. We love you. We're so grateful for this church and this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.